you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we're going to look at verses 31 to 37 uh, this morning. So in Matthew 5, 31 to 37, so right in the middle of uh, Jesus teaching some hard things to his listeners there on the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. Last week was about anger and lust, and this week is about divorce and honesty. And so we need this light that shines from us, but it's got to go beyond something that we can produce on our own. Um, and so we need Jesus to work work in us uh, to be able to follow what he says. So we're titled the message, same as last week, Pursuing a Kingdom Shine. So let's read the verses, um, verses 31 to 37. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, by, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we come to you this morning so thankful for your word, this treasure that you've given us uh, to know how to know you and how to follow you in our lives. And um, we've been receiving uh, the Sermon on the Mount again, and just Jesus' words, um, the challenge that they are for our lives. And uh, so we would pray, Lord, that uh, as we're uh, hearing these words today on uh, divorce and honesty, that uh, you would stir in us a desire to follow. Um, you would remind us of your abundant grace for our failures, and that you'd call us uh, to keep moving forward with you. Pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, one of the most popular cosmetic procedures uh, that is requested is teeth whitening. Um, it's, it's not a new thing. It's been around for a really long time. The ancient Romans would concoct this mixture of goat's milk and urine to help whiten their teeth. So they really wanted to have that winning smile, you know. Uh, dentists, they provide services for teeth whitening. They're, they're reaping some $1.6 billion a year doing that. Uh, there's things that we can buy for home, you know, home remedies, teeth whitening toothpaste, uh, teeth whitening kits. You can even start a teeth whitening business, which uh, entrepreneur.com says is an $11 billion industry. Uh, so if you're looking for something to do, they, they say that's like the most requested cosmetic procedure of anything. 
you know, that, that, that is out there. So all of that's fine and good, but it's just another example of how we humans tend to work on the outward shine. We tend to work on that winning white smile and possibly ignoring what might be going on deeper inside the mouth. You know, so of course, uh, the only answer to solving that decay that's going on in there is a trip to the dentist, right? And so, you know, sit in the chair, you get the cleaning, you get the drilling, maybe the, you know, maybe the drilling, maybe, maybe a repair, that kind of thing. I, I don't think very many of us like to, to go to the dentist. I don't like to go. It's a painful experience. Um, but I think maybe more than the pain is we don't like to be found out. You know, a dentist looks in there and he knows exactly how we've been treating our teeth since the last, it doesn't matter how hard you brush that morning of the appointment, you know, it doesn't matter, right? It's like, but, but, Am I the only one? You brushed a little extra hard, right? <laughs> and trying to make it look good. But no, he looks in there and he sees exactly how we've been living. So Jesus, he's continuing his contrast with the status quo of the day, the teaching that the people were getting, you know, from the Pharisees. The Pharisees were really working hard to keep the letter of the law, have that winning white smile, that outward shine in their life, but they were neglecting some matters of the heart. And Jesus was calling attention to that. And so likewise, we have that tendency. If we're not careful, we're just working hard to have that white smile, neglecting the tooth decay that's going on. I mean, we might try the teeth whitening, you know, toothpaste. We we might even go find a goat and... No, no, I won't even go there. <clears throat> so we, we like to look good on the outside. But when we go to the dentist, you know, it's like, it's like we need to go to Jesus and let him work on the inside of us. Because um, that's what makes all of this possible. So we're looking for that kingdom shine from our life and that's jesus calling to this higher standard but it's more about who we are than what we do Um, so today in these first two verses jesus calls us to a life of faithfulness and he's doing that by calling out unfaithfulness so in verse 31 it says it it was also said this is jesus it was also said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce And we want to read these uh, verses in the context of their culture. The culture in which these words were spoken was not an easy one for women uh, to be in. Much of what was taught to men didn't put any value on women. And so Jesus is citing a law here from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And it says there, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a certificate, a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. Now, as you read that, you can tell that there's a little room for interpretation right there, you know. Um, so remember this. Women didn't have any rights in, in that culture. I'm saying they, were, they had no way to earn money. They were completely dependent on a man to take care of them. And so at first, that was dad, and then it was the hope of a good husband. So God wrote the law for this divorce as a protection for women. So if a husband's heart was hard and he treated his wife ugly, he would, you know, enact the divorce clause as a way to get out of the marriage. But God was providing it as a way for a woman to get out of the marriage, to be protected from an ugly husband. But the teaching of the day, it turned this law into a right for a man instead of a protection for a woman. So men were taught, you know, if, if she burned your dinner... You can write her a certificate of divorce and, and send her on her way. If she doesn't please you sexually, if she doesn't do what you say, if she, if she isn't taking good care of you, just you know file the divorce certificate and God's good with it. Again, the Pharisees teaching the letter of the law. But Jesus gets down to the heart of the matter in his next statement in verse 32. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, 
except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so this now man's desire um, is being to divorce a woman is being made equal with sexual immorality. And the only reason, and that's the only reason that Jesus gives for um, for for a divorce. So what he's saying is that just because you think you found a good reason to to divorce your wife. God doesn't think it's a good reason, and he's still going to hold you accountable to the original promise that you made to her. So when you leave your wife, she's got no choice but to go find another husband, which makes her an adulterer. And if you get married again, you are committing the sin of adultery. Now, Matthew 19, verses 3 to 8, the topic of divorce comes up again. Jesus has a few more words here. Uh, for the Pharisees, they come to him again and they're testing him, trying to catch him in something he he says. And so they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? So there's that attitude of the day, you know, just uh, a man's right to divorce a woman for any reason. But Jesus responds like this. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. So Jesus is going back to answer the Pharisees. Jesus is going back to God's original intent, his, his original plan for mankind. He, he was the one who invented marriage. Marriage is not man's idea. Um, he's the one who, who came up with it. He's also the one who defined it back in Genesis. He said it's between a man and a woman. And so it's basic to the natural order of things for the well-being of humanity. He said, he said that the two shall become one flesh, which is alluding to the physical. But if you're married, you know that that also includes emotional, and, uh, emotional oneness and spiritual oneness. And if you don't know that and you're married, I would argue with you that you don't have a marriage like God wants you to have. So God wants us to live this life of faithfulness. And the Pharisees, they think they got Jesus. They think they're, they're going to corner him here. And they ask a follow-up question, Matthew 19, 7. Why then, they ask him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And so there we kind of, again, get down to the heart of the, of the matter. We're going from the outside of our lives to the inside of our lives, from the, from the white teeth to the, to the tooth decay. Divorce was necessary to protect women against the hard-heartedness of men. Now, I know that in this contemporary world that we live in, um, this is a difficult subject to navigate. Divorce is all too common in, in, our, uh, in our lives, and the church has done hurtful things to people who have gone through ending a marriage. And I, I don't know what your past looks like, and you can't go back and change your past. So I'm not here to condemn you if you have been divorced. Uh, I'm not here to sideline you from ministry. Um, I'm here to remind you that God forgives and he gives grace and he can bless and restore and heal in your life, even if you've been divorced. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. I think Pastor Randy told us a couple weeks ago that that was unbelief. And so you know, we want to, we want to remember that when it comes to uh, divorce in people's lives. 
Um, but having said that, I believe that the church has a huge responsibility to fight for marriage today. To fight for it. Because we know it was God's intent from the beginning. We know that. We know that it hurts them immensely when we don't follow that plan. And we know that it hurts our, our witness in the world. That when we break our promises to each other, when we fail in our marriages, that it, it makes us look like the world. And they say they're no different than us. So we've got to fight to make divorce a less common thing in our lives. Even in the case of, of uh, adultery in a marriage, a divorce doesn't have to be the first option. You know, God raised Jesus from the dead. If you believe that, say amen. amen. <laughs> so if God raised Jesus from the dead, he can raise your marriage from the dead. He can do it. So this starts by believing that we don't have it in us to go our whole lives being faithful. It starts right there, that we don't have it in us. If we're going to pursue this kingdom shine, it means we're going to live a life of faithfulness in marriage. And that means there's some work to do before and after the I do's. So the work before the I do's is about answering a couple of questions. The why get married and the who to get married to. So most people get married for the wrong reasons. I did. (laughs) We say we love somebody and we want to spend the rest of our lives with them. But really, we just like how they make us feel. And so walking down the aisle, um, you know, it's about how I feel, how this person makes me feel. And then once you get into the marriage and you you, doesn't take very long and you realize that a self-centered marriage isn't going to last very long. It, It begins to separate very, very quickly. Only God is the one who can meet that need inside of us who, who, uh, that, that we have in our hearts. And so many people, you know, they, they go after relationship after relationship looking for that one right person to make us feel and to meet that need in our heart that really only God can, can meet. And that, that happens, he, he meets that need when, when we trust in Christ. Uh, with our life, with our sin, with who we really are. And he comes in, he forgives us, and he, and he comes into our hearts, makes us new. And now we've got this relationship with God that you know, meets us right where we have that need. But we also know this, that we also have a need for human companionship. If you remember back in the garden, the first thing that wasn't good in the world was that man was alone. And so, uh, you know, remember, Adam had all of God that he wanted. So... There's a need in us that only a human can meet. And so then along came Eve, and then along came marriage. She was given to Adam as a helper. What was she supposed to help Adam do? There were no dishes. There was no laundry. She was there to help him glorify God. And so the question that we should ask ourselves before we make this lifelong promise to someone is, will this person help me or hinder me in my glorifying God? Are they going to help me or hinder me in my following Christ, in my ministry for the kingdom, my worship of God? Help or hinder? That goes for the man and the woman. Ask those questions before you get married. I mean, how's that? How's that for a reason? And then there's the who question. Who do we get married to? And really the answer starts in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. This, this is where you should start. It says, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. 
For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? And we should take that verse, we should apply it to every partnership in our lives, if we're, if we're, but especially to, to, the, to the marriage promises that we make, to our faithfulness in marriage. If our decision to get married is based on glorifying God, how can an unbeliever help us do that? They can't. They can't even understand it. I mean, they look at how we want to live, and it's foolishness to them. And that, when you first get married, you, some people think, well, maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convert this person. No, you're not. God converts them. So let that happen before you say, I do, instead of after. If you're single and you're Christian and you're thinking marriage is the right thing for you, listen to what God says here. Do yourself a favor and, and, and trust what he says is, is the best life for you to live. You look for somebody who will put God ahead of you in your relationship. Be a fruit inspector in their life. Don't just listen to their words that are going to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Because they're going to say that because they want to get married to you. Now, don't listen to their words. Look at their life. Look for evidence of the Holy Spirit in their, in their life. Look for them wanting to honor God in your relationship. Um, ask yourself, is their life following Christ, inspiring me to want to follow Christ? Does it call me up? If it does, you have found yourself a good one. Try to hang on to them. The words I say in a marriage ceremony, they go like this. Marriage is a close and enduring union, a relationship in which a man and a woman forsake all others to become one flesh. This abiding union illustrates the holy relationships between Christ and the church. Marriage is therefore not to be entered into by any lightly, but reverently, soberly, and in the fear of God. And, you know, we just need to work harder at that not entering into lightly, but reverently and soberly and in the fear of God. We do that by asking the right questions, finding the right person, all before promises are ever made. Now, after they get made, after the ideas, we've got to remember that this promise that we're making isn't just to this other person that's standing there. It's also when we're making the promise to God. When people come to me and they ask me to marry them, I want to know some things about how they're living. I want to know, are they still under separate roofs? And I want to know if they're abstaining from sexual relationships. And I want to know those things because if they're respecting God before they get married, chances are they will continue to do so after they get married. So people who are just wanting to get married but sort of ignoring God's way of doing it, they ought to just go down to the courthouse and get it done because they just want to have a ceremony. But what happens in a, in a Christian wedding is so much more than a ceremony. God is joining two people to become one flesh. It is a spiritual moment. And we stand there together and say our promises to each other to be faithful to this one person. And the thing is, if you're making that promise to God, it changes everything and how you look at it. Because this one person that's standing there, you know, across from you, as you're saying your I do's, they're not always going to be lovable. And, and that might be, there might be seasons of that, you know, where they struggle with this or that or, you know, something. And it, it, it could come and go. And if, if we've made a promise to them, if it's just about them and they're not lovable and that goes on for a while, we might start to be thinking, well, they're not really living up to their end of the bargain here. I think I'm done. But if we remember that God is the one we've made that promise to, that helps us fight for
for that promise. It helps us to be faithful uh, and to keep it. And then there's investments to make after the I do's. Investments that you can make really to help us persevere in this promise. Once you tie the knot, just the beginning. You know, this is important to know. It's important to remember this. Um, When you're married, there is not a single other person on the planet who God will use to change you into the person that he wants you to be. You know, Lori, we've been married 31 years. And there's not a single person, not a preacher, not a friend, uh, not a teacher, who has changed, who God has used more to change my heart to look more like Christ, to keep me growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And this is it's true, it's true for everybody. We all need help in persevering in this work of keeping our promises and growing our marriages. It's pleasant work, but it's work. Lori and I have done marriage classes. You know, we've gone on marriage retreats. We've read marriage books. We've gone to marriage conferences. All of that to help persevere in keeping our promises. And God uses that in, in, as, we, as we pay attention to it and as we give our time to it. He uses that to change us and to help us be faithful to each other. You know, um, <clears throat> our house is getting ready to change. Uh, Gavin's getting ready to move. He's going to move to Texas here in a few weeks. And uh, so as I, as I think about that move coming, it, it, it's a reminder to me that the empty nest is coming. You know, we still got a couple more at home, and Lucy's going to help that linger a little while. But, um, but you know, it's coming. And I was thinking, you know, um, it's just going to be Lori and I. And as her husband, I don't want our promise to be on life support when we get there. You know, I don't want us to be strangers because we just focused on the kids all this time. And now we're looking at each other. We don't know what to say. Don't want to be emotionally divorced when, when we get there. So it takes investing. And listen, it takes... It, it, is the, it is my responsibility to be the person leading in that investing. Husband, it's your responsibility to lead in investing in your marriage. Now, we've got this book called uh, The Four Habits of, a, of Joy-Filled Marriages. And we started giving that out to, to couples who, who just got married. Uh, but I wanted to give you one. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a very big book. It's, it's about brain science. And it's got some exercises in there to do with your wife. So, guys, on the way out, they're back there by the offering box. And I'll, I'll just, you know, forewarn you, the exercises are a little weird because it's about brain science. But I promise you, I, I believe that if you do them, you'll be glad that you did. There'll be more joy in, in your marriage. So I know that that's a lot, and I know maybe more than what Jesus was speaking about here, but it's important for us to understand that we are called to live a life of faithfulness in our marriages, and things aren't getting better. In that, in that regard, and the church needs to fight for faithfulness in that. So that faithfulness, it produces a light in, in, in our world. And uh, people are surprised when you hear you know, that you've been married a long time. Uh, so it all happens when God does that work inside of us. And so now Jesus switches topics here uh, to another area of life where humanity is sorely lacking. If we're going to pursue this kingdom shine... Uh, we need to be pursue a life of integrity. So Jesus says, verse 33, Again, you've heard, it, heard that it was said to, to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So Jesus is bringing up this common practice in his day where somebody uses an oath or a promise 
to add to the credibility of who they are or what they were saying they were going to do. And so in the Old Testament, you'd hear a lot, as surely as the Lord lives, da, 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 da. You know, adding, you know, trying to, trying to sell somebody. So this practice, it wasn't condemned. It was just a regulated. There was a way to, get, to do, to make promises. And so basically, if you're going to say something, if you're going to say something to someone, if you're going to promise something, you're going to tack on, as God is my witness, you know, then you want to really be sure you meet your meaning what you are saying. Um, otherwise, we're, we're just using God's name in vain. And we know that that is, you know, something that goes back to the Ten Commandments. So the problem with people taking oaths and the way they were doing it was they were just trying to convince somebody to, uh, that they were trying to convince someone else of, the, of their sincerity, that this promise was really sincere. Uh, but really what they were trying to do was just convince them to do what they wanted them uh, to do. So they weren't being honest in their oath taking. They were just trying to sell their story. And Jesus basically, very simple, just, just stop it. <laughs> you know, it's just very simple. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by, earth, by the earth, for it is the, his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I do not take an oath, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So all of those things were sort of common things that people were invoking when they were making their promises to each other. And because of how they were doing that, they were losing their sacredness. Uh, to swear by heaven, or Jerusalem, or the earth. Or even your own head meant nothing to the one who was making the promise. But they, those things were still important to God. I mean, heaven is where his throne is. Jerusalem was his special city. Uh, the earth was his footstool. And man, the crowning of his creation. Um, so to use all of those things for the purpose of manipulating somebody to get them to do what you want or to, or to get them to see you in a certain light was an abuse of those things. And the O's, they were meant to encourage integrity and truthfulness, but now they were just about manipulation. So Jesus, very simply, verse 37, let what you, sim- let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil, from, from evil. So mean what you say and do what you say. Make your handshake mean something. And I was thinking, when I was reading that, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if our political world would follow this advice? Oh, my word. Would our lives be so much easier if they would just stop with all the promises and the muscling and the accusations and the trying to manipulate us into make, getting our vote? I mean, let's just have an honest discussion about what's going on in our world and, and your solutions. Just tell us who you are, where you've been, and let us make our own decision. Wouldn't that be refreshing? Well, don't hold your breath. It's never been like that. <laughs> but I sure, sure think it would make our lives better. So if we're going to pursue this kingdom shine, we've got to pursue this life of integrity. So being the kind of people that keep our promises without really ever having to make them. So I will be over tomorrow to cut your grass. That would be where you, know, where you stop. But then we go, you can count on it. Just, just as the sun rises, I'll be there. You know, we go on. I'm going to be there. Just, we just have to do what we say. We need, we need to give people the freedom to make their own choice without trying to coerce them um, one way or the other. And I think, you know, we could see this, still see this on TV every now and then. Uh, hey, if you give to God, he's going to bless you and he's going to multiply back to you tenfold. You know, trying to get us to do something. We need to stop. Jesus says stop all that. And integrity means that what is going on on the outside of our life is the same as what's going on on the inside. So that bright, shiny smile is really a reflection of a clean 
hearted person on the inside. So Jesus, he's touching on fundamental things in our lives. I mean, this, this gets, gets down to the, the, the fundamental way that we relate to one another, and it all has an impact on that. Now, at first I was thinking about this and, and us making promises to each other, and I think, are we really doing that? You know, are we really um, swearing on a stack of Bibles all the time and trying to convince people that, we're, that you can count them? And so I, I kind of thought no, but then I was thinking, well, you know, I guess we, get, we make O's all the time when we say yes to, to somebody about, you know, doing something. Uh, for them or you or showing up you know anytime we say yeah you you can count on me you know we're sort of making a promise um there and then when we do or don't do what we said yes to um we get a reputation for uh you know being somebody you can count on so it's not what we say it's what we do so if you tell somebody yeah i'm gonna show up i'm gonna be there then you better be there. If you say, say to somebody, I'm going to you know, call you, and you better call them. You know, those kinds of things. All those things, uh, when we don't follow through, they chip away at our integrity. And then people, they give us, uh, or, or we get a reputation that we can't be counted on. So what, what we do is our, our, our yes to people really is a no. And then when we're, when we're there, when our, when our yes is really a no, it's really hard to get back to the place in, in our lives with people that our yes is really Yes, it's really hard to rebuild trust with somebody after you have have lost it. Now, I think we might think about integrity in in, in a big ways in our in our lives. You know, when it comes to, to uh, big things that come along. But a person who has this kingdom shine is trustworthy in the little things in our lives. So, the calling of someone, emailing, visiting, all those things. When we say that we said we would do that, little things that make up our yeses that we make. Every day. <clears throat> but, you know, I ask, what about the no? <laughs> you know, we, we really don't like to say no to people, do we? Um, we want to have, we want to we wanna say, you know, I, I can't, and then we want to give them a reason why we can't so they, you know, don't think ill of us or, or something like that. But Jesus, he's just calling us to, to live more simply, to, to be people of integrity and let our yes be yes and our no be no. And that's something that starts... On the inside of us. When I was a freshman at Purdue, Lori was living here in Indianapolis going to IUPUI. And one weekend, um, my friend and I thought it would be good to, uh, for us to go home and uh, do a road trip uh, to come home and visit. And uh, for whatever reason, I thought that, that my parents didn't need to know about that. And, and so I just made it a secret road trip. And so we came home and uh, Lori and I decided to go to Dairy Queen on Friday night, and we got there and uh, saw some uh, parents of another friend of mine. And so we had a kind of nice conversation and everything, and then we went on our merry way. And um, on Sunday, when I got back to my dorm room, my dad calls me, and he says, "So what'd you do this weekend?" Well, see, those parents that we talked to at Dairy Queen went to church with my mom and dad, and on Sunday morning, they had a conversation. Hey, we talked to Greg. You know, he was here in town. Dad's like, "Really?" So when dad called me, what'd you do this weekend? I'm like, well, I'm studying, you know, just doing the college thing. And after that, the conversation kind of went downhill. My dad is really hard to make mad, and he was mad. So um, the thing is, what I didn't realize was how much of a hit my integrity was taking, how hard, it, how hard I was making it on my parents to trust my yes and, and my no. So I made sure that uh, after that, the dad knew where I was at, or I was where he expected me to be. 
So Jesus calling us up to something more simple and true, this life of integrity. Uh, but you know, there's that something in us that wants to and manipulate people and, and so they see us a certain way or we look good in, in their eyes. And that's all just about whitening our teeth on the outside. Um, we don't want to be people who overpromise and underdeliver. Well, we want the other, the other to be true. We want to underpromise and overdeliver. Ray Floyd, do you, you know that name? Some of you probably don't. He was a professional golfer. And one time in a tournament, he was getting ready to tap in this nine-inch putt. You know, one of those really short ones, the golfer just goes up there and hits it in. No big deal. But when he went up to tap it in, his putter hit the ball, and it moved just a little tiny bit. Now, when that happens, the golfer is supposed to assess themselves a penalty stroke. And Ray Floyd, he was like one of the leaders in this tournament. He was looking at $108,000 prize money, and um, so he was you know, supposed to... Supposed to assess that, so get get a bogey on the hole. Dan Holohan, he was a writer, and he wrote this about what other golfers might have done. He said the athlete ducks his head and flails his arms wildly as if he's being attacked by a killer bee, and then he steps back from the ball, rubbing his eyes for this phantom speck of dust, all the while looking at all the golfers and all the crowd to see if anybody noticed that that ball moved. And then they step back up to the putt, put it in for their par, but not Ray Floyd. He, had, he did not do that. He assessed himself the penalty stroke and wound up with a bogey on the hole and getting second place in the tournament. It comes down to the slightest movements in our lives. Integrity is so valuable and is so rare in this world. It doesn't just happen. God works in all those slight movements as we keep our yes, yes, our no, no, and then when the big decisions come along, we make decisions based on integrity. Sometimes it costs us. It costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us our will. It costs us our pride. Um, but it is worth everything that it costs us. That kind of integrity will shine. It will shine in this dark world that we are living in. If we let Jesus do the work on the inside of us. Let's have Thane come on back up. And he's going to lead us in one more song. Um, So Jesus is calling us to a life of peace and purity and a life of faithfulness and integrity. And as we read those words, we think about how they apply to our lives. We can see where we've fallen. You know, it feels impossible. But because the Holy Spirit, because he's in there, Jesus never calls us to a place where he doesn't equip us. And so we've got to trust in him. To shine through us. Let's pray. Lord, let that be the cry of our heart today. And we would love you from the inside out. That we, that we would know uh, the power of the Holy Spirit bearing fruit in our lives. Uh, today we pray for marriages. And just that you would uh, convict us again of that promise that we've made to you and to, the, to our spouse. That we would strengthen it. That we would invest in our marriage. That we would do what is necessary to give ourselves a chance and forever. And so, Lord, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you for being um, the, the true promise keeper, the one who shows us a life of integrity and calls us up to live that, Lord. Um, so keep working in, in our lives in the little things, Lord, that, that, we, uh, that we can feel that where that yes needs to be yes, that no needs to be no. Thank you, Lord, for using us, for um, keeping us, uh, and sending us out. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen.